0: And you can find this text on page 316 in the Pew Bible provided there for you. I love that song by Aaron Keese so much. I'm just going to make you sing it over and over until you love it as much. So uh, it's so good. And it fits the theme of what we're doing today, talking about from beginning to end. I hope you've seen it. The idea that there is a sovereign God who is working out his providential will through all of history, including every detail of our lives. That song describes it so well. He has a plan to prosper us in Jesus Christ and all of the events of our lives lead to that. Now, if you've just joined us, we're going through a series on the story of David And if you've never been here before, I want in 30 seconds to try to help you know what we're heading into in our text this morning in 2 Samuel 17. David was king of Israel and God's appointed king. God had made a covenant that David would be Israel's king. David was pointing ahead to the true David, to the true king, which is Jesus Christ, the son of David. But David, unlike Jesus Christ, has sinned egregiously against God. He took another man's wife and he killed her husband. It was awful. And now David finds himself under the chastising hand of God. God is a good father and he does not let us get away with our sins. And so he disciplines us in his grace. And David is feeling the weight of his sin and the sin of those around him and his own son Absalom is trying to ascend to David's throne and David is out in the wilderness running for his life again. And David would be in this moment going, is God still true to his word? Does he still have good intentions for me? Does God keep his promises? These would be the types of things David would wrestle with himself in the wilderness. What we're going to see this morning is how God is present in David's life, the invisible hand of God at work, even when David himself cannot see it. Read with me this text, 2 Samuel 17. It's a long text but it's worth it. It's a great story. I hope you'll follow along. I'll explain it to you as we go. Let me just say this before we start, too. There's two guys that are prime characters in this text. Uh, There's, of course, Absalom, who's trying to to be the king, David in the wilderness, but the two other guys are Ahithophel and uh, Hushai. Ahithophel and Hushai ahithophel is now counseling absalom and hushai is a plant trying to thwart the plans of ahithophel and destroy absalom you'll understand this in a minute but i want us to start reading at chapter 16 verse 23 because it's very important that we get this verse chapter 16 verse 23 through chapter 17 now in those days the counsel that ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. In other words, when Ahithophel spoke, it was as if the word of God himself was coming to them because he was so wise. Now, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men And I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, that is David, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. But strangely, Absalom does something odd at this point. Then Absalom said, Call Hushai, the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushai said, You know that your father and his men are mighty men and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is an expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, there's been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then the valiant men, even the valiant men, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father David is a mighty man and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, as far as the sand by the sea, uh, as the sand by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found. We shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men with him, not one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we will drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The council of Hushai is, is better than the council of Ahithophel. If you're an underliner, you're going to want to underline this next verse. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so have I counsel." Now. Therefore, send quickly and tell David, do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over. Let the king and all the people, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now, Jonathan and Ahimaaz were waiting at Enrogel. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not going to be seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom, So both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Baharim who had a well in his courtyard and they went down into it, the well. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it and nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, where is or where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, they've gone over the brook of water. And when they sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, the men came up out of the well and went and told King David. They said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan River. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, That is by Absalom, he saddled his donkey and went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself and he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Then David came to Mahanaim and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had set Amasa over the army instead of Joab. Amasa the son of was the son of a man named Ithra the Ishmaelite who had married Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zuriah, Joab's mother. And Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. I have no idea what all that means either, but let's keep going. Verse 27, when David came to Mahanaim, Shobi, the son of Nahash from Rabbah of the Ammonites and Makir the son of Amil from Lodabar and Barzillai, the Gileadite from Rogalim brought and I do understand this part, brought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, and lentils, honey, and curds, and sheep, and cheese for the, uh, from the herd for David and the people with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. That's a lot. I'm going to explain it to you. But that is the word of God. Thanks be to you, O oh God. Holy Spirit, we open our hearts and minds and ask that you reveal your truth and your beauty and your providence and sovereignty to us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've seen the story, the tragic killings of the children at Covenant School uh, in Nashville, a a sister school and church in the PCA, very close, very uh, very many of them friends of ours. What you might not have seen, though, is that what happened the day they went back to the school for a chapel services? I want you to see these three images. As they started to head into the chapel, God provided a rainbow. Now, Christians know the rainbow. It's God's covenant promise that he is with us and he will always keep his promise and he will never destroy the earth by flood again. Sometimes in life, we see God's hand at work very clearly, unmistakably. We see the hand of the sovereign God of Providence, so clearly, like a rainbow put over a chapel when the kids from Nashville are going back to a chapel service. Sometimes the hand of God is unmistakable. But more often in life, we wonder God, are you still there? God, are you still good? God, are you still faithful to your promises? God, as I look at the circumstances of my life, it just seems like one hit after another. Do you love me? Are you there? Are you good? Are you really in control? And I want to say to you this morning, and this is the point of this text that comes out so clearly for us, That even when we can't see the hand of God at work in our lives, the invisible hand of God is sovereignly, providentially at work in our lives at all times for our good and for God's glory. This is what we mean by God's sovereignty or God's providence. See, at the very beginning of your outline here is that catechism question that we say all the time. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 11. What are God's works of providence? The answer, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. David in the wilderness, running for his life, must have been tempted to ask, God, are you really good if so, why did you allow these things to happen? God, are you still with me? Are you still true to your promise? Do you still love me? And what David can't see directly as the hand of God at work, this text just is wide open for us to see the invisible hand of God at work in David's life as he is in ours, even when we can't see it. So let's look at it together. How do we see God's hand, the invisible hand of God at work, we first see it in his plan. We see God's providence in his plan. What's the plan going on here? Okay, here it is. Absalom, trying to ascend to the throne, he has an advisor named Ahithophel. I said to you that Ahithophel's counsel was taken as the very word of God. It was so good. And he was, he was like, he was right all the time. What he said was right. And he comes up with this great plan. He says, David's out in the wilderness. He's weak. Let's hit him quickly. Let's get a secret attack. Lord, I'll go out, Ahithophel says. I'll go out. I'll get him. Don't worry about the others. Let's kill David. Let's a surprise attack. And when the others see that David is dead, they will scatter, and then everybody will be brought back unto you. King Absalom, you will finally be king. And Absalom said, and all the other men that's a good plan. Absalom liked the plan. And Ahithophel's word is as if it's the word of God. And all the other elders like the plan, but they don't go with the plan. (laughs) Because Hushai comes along, and for whatever reason, Absalom goes, great plan. Let's hear from Hushai. Hushai, very shrewd, who has been planted by David to thwart the counsel of Absalom and Ahithophel. Hushai says, what Ahithophel has planned is not good this time. He's very shrewd. Like we all know Ahithophel's the man with the plan, but this time Ahithophel's plan is not good. And, Hushai appeals to Absalom's vanity, and he says, don't let Ahithophel lead the march to get David. You, Absalom, gather all the forces to yourself, and you go out, and we will annihilate David. I mean, there's very descriptive language I don't have time to go into there, but we're going we're gonna to annihilate David, and everybody will then say, Absalom did this, and Absalom is the king. Now, Hushai knows that Ahithophel's plan is a good plan. But he's trying to buy time for David to get away. And for whatever reason, they go with Hushai's plan. Even though they even are suspect of Hushai and his motives, they still go with his plan. Why? Why? Because you've got a king out in the wilderness and you've got a king trying to become king on the throne and behind both of them is the king of kings who is working out his plan, working out his plan regardless of what these two men are planning for themselves. The key verse is verse 14. Look at it with me. I told you to underline it if you're into that kind of thing. Part B of 14 says this. For the Lord had ordained, that's that sovereign providence of God that we talk about. The Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel, see it was a good plan, to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. There was no reason to follow Hushai's plan other than the sovereign king of kings, who was reigning over all things at all times, orchestrated the events to be such that they would listen to Hushai and not Ahithophel here. Job learned this lesson. He said, I know that you, God, can do all things, Job 42, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He will. Three times in Daniel chapter 4, it says, The Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone He wishes and sets up over them the lowliest of people. God is not threatened by rulers or princes or kings or presidents or governments. They are pawns in His hand. And kings have their plans and want to be kings. But the king of kings is always ruling and reigning from His throne in perfection. We struggle, don't we, to really believe at times that God has a good plan for us. You know, I lie awake at night, and my anxiety is making my head spin, and I can't go to sleep and of all the events of the days that are coming for me. You know who never lies awake at night wishing and wondering and fretting about the future? God, because he never lies down to sleep. He is sovereign over us and his plans are perfect even when we don't see it. One of my children recently was lamenting something that didn't go the way this child wanted it to go And, and I said, listen, I feel your frustration, we just need to trust the Lord and know that because he's God and he's perfect, he has a plan and his plan is perfect and it's for his glory and for our good. And almost before I could get the words out, my child said, you get paid to say that. (laughs) And I said, actually, you're right, I do. But it doesn't make it any less true. When my plans don't go the way I think they should, I can so quickly go into a tailspin and doubt God's plan, but he's perfect. He never makes a mistake. His plan is sovereign and it will not be thwarted. David didn't even see it, but God's hand was at work in the behind the scenes for David's good and for God's kingdom at the same time. Secondly, God's providential hand is seen, even when we don't see it, in his use of people to bring about his purposes. Did you see all the servants of God that he dispatches in this text to help bring, apart, bring about his will? I'll just read some of them to you. Of course, there's Hushai who was planted in Absalom's court to be an advocate for David. God ordained that Hushai would be there in that moment. And then, of course, there's Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, who come up with a plan to say, hey, let's get a servant girl to run out into uh, the field to tell both Jonathan and Ahimaaz uh, the plan so that the plan reaches David. You see, Hushai knew that Absalom had said his counsel was good, but there was no guarantee that he was going to follow through with that. So he had to get the word to David quickly. So God orchestrated all these people, Hushai, Zadok, and Abiathar, Jonathan, and Ahimaaz, the servant girl, to get them to this message would get to David. Well, then Absalom finds out that there are people sending a message to David. So he sends out people to try to kill these servants. So God raises up other servants, this man and this woman, who uh, hide them in their well. And then you get to the end of the text. We'll touch on it at the very end. But Shobi and Makir and Barzillai meet their very practical needs. God ordained people to accomplish his sovereignty plan, and he does so today as well. What I want you to hear today is that the people of God are the invisible hand of God made visible in our lives. I look back at my life, and I think at each step along the way, God has brought the right person at the right time, maybe for counsel or encouragement or friendship or correction or... or that has something that God has has used this person to bring to my life and, and my place of need. God's people are his invisible hand made visible in our lives. That's enough for that one. Thirdly, we see God's invisible hand not just in his plan and not just in his servants, his people that he dispatches. We also see God's providence in his preservation Or, if you want to say his protection, we see God preserving the life of his servants in several ways in this text. There's the well. No one would suspect servant girls going out to a well, but that well was going to be a source of protection and preservation for the servants who were to get the word to David. So they come out looking for these servants, and, and the woman hides them under, in the well under a, a covering of grain. God is preserving his people. Then David is told, get across the river as quickly as you can, because God is preserving his people. And God puts Hushai in there to thwart the plans of, and counsel of Ahithophel, because God is preserving his people. And then even in the death of Ahithophel, we see God's preservation of his people. Ahithophel, whose counsel was like that of God, gives his counsel to Absalom. But Absalom disregards his counsel, takes Hushai's counsel. And at this moment, Ahithophel knows Absalom's doomed. My plan was the right plan, but they didn't listen to my plan. And I've sided with Absalom, so I'm doomed. And so he goes home, he gets his affairs in order, and he hangs himself. This enemy of God, David, was being preserved from, even in these circumstances. Master's week. Friday, Good Friday. We're watching the masters and and two pine trees fall over. And very early in that process, as we realized that that no one was harmed, and you watch video of people fleeing from these massive trees, you realize that here again on Good Friday, God was saving people, and they didn't even know it. His hand of preservation is always at work in our lives, whether we see it or not. Some will say it was the crackling of the trees and getting caught up in the limbs of the other trees that paused it just enough so you can see those people spread to get away. All I know is God is always at all times preserving his people and taking care of us even when we don't know it. E- eternity is going to be eternity because we're just going to hear over and over and over the stories of how God protected us even when we didn't know it and when it, we didn't like what he was doing. Uh, That time you were driving down the road and and you got that flat tire and and you missed whatever you were going to and you were so mad at me. Can you imagine these stories? God's going to say, here's what I was doing. Here's how I was preserving you in my providence. That's going to be incredible to hear all the stories of how God has preserved us. Uh, Before we move to this last one, I want to ask you this question. How do you reconcile the fact that David... Praise and says so often, "God is my refuge, God is my deliverer, God is my strength, God is my protector. He delivers me from my enemies." How do you reconcile all that with the fact that Jesus said, "In this world, you will have trouble. but take heart, I've overcome the world. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you as well. If I suffered, you're going to suffer as well. How do we reconcile those two things? Well, ultimately, only the infinite God understands how the things that are to us as finite people we can understand. But I will say this. Even the bad stuff that's happening and has happened in your life first passes through the fingers of a loving Father who works all things for your good and His glory. Even the bad stuff comes through His hands first And he makes no mistakes. And he loves you. He never gets it wrong. If Ahithophel's counsel was as if it was like God, God's counsel is God. And he makes no mistakes. He has a perfect plan and he knows what he's doing. And nothing can alter his plan. I would also say to you that in the killing of his own son, God was providing for you ultimate deliverance from everything that seeks to harm you. 10 billion years in eternity face to face with Jesus and you're not gonna be angry about what God did in your life here. You will see then as you're unable to see now and it will all make sense. And then lastly, I would say to you, he promises that even through your hard times, he is with you. He never leaves you. He walks right into those hard times with you. Well, fourthly and finally, we see God's providence, his invisible hand in his provision, very practical provision. David shows up in this place in Mahanaim, And the people come out and they provide him food and and, and drink and, and all the supplies that he needs. Because they recognize David's in need of these things. And God had prompted their hearts to provide for their very basic needs. I think you've seen it in your lives too. When you were in a need, had a need financially and God provided in a way you could have never seen coming. Or when you were sick in the hospital and God brought at the right time the right counsel or the right people or the right medicine just when you needed it. It's what Paul says, Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I want to leave you this. (laughs) Pastor McHurd mentioned this. I got to go with it. I think that flowers and birds are sacramental gifts of God. Now a sacrament, the Lord's Supper and baptism, those are given to us by God to point us to a greater reality of the promise of God and what he has done and will do for us. So when we look at the Lord's Supper, it, it takes us in a sacramental union way by the Holy Spirit. It takes us to unite with Jesus in his body and blood, and, and that sacrament spirit- us, uh, benefits us spiritually. When we see baptism, it reminds us of a greater reality that God is doing, so it causes us to know and love Jesus better. Those sacraments cause us to experience God's grace. Do you know that Jesus himself said, I want you to go outside today and I want you to look at the birds because they're sacramental. When you look at a bird, you are supposed to say, it's an argument from lesser to greater. If Jesus said this, by the way, I'm not making this up. He said, go look at the bird. When you see the bird, realize that that bird in all its glory and beauty and distinctiveness If God's going to take care of that bird, certainly He's going to take care of those that He has purchased with His own blood. So when you see a bird and you see its uniqueness and all the different species of birds, you are supposed to go look at that bird. God, you are with me, and you are providing for me, and I am under your care. Jesus said, Go outside, look at the flowers. When you see the individual petals and you see the colors and you see all the intricate designs of every flower, look at that flower and then think to yourself, if God's going to take care of a flower, he's going to provide for me. Birds and flowers are sacramental gifts of God given to you to remind you that God in his sovereign providence is going to continue to provide for you. Now, Two nuggets to close with, and if you want to leave, I know it's lunchtime. You can, but I promise these are worth it. The first one. We've talked about God's providence seen in His plan, in His people, in His uh, provision. What's the other one right here? Uh, whatever you whatever it was, I can't remember. Preservation. Thank you. But you know that all of those ways we see God's pre- uh, His providence at work in our lives are in conjunction with our prayers. Now, this is amazing. Turn with me back two pages to 2 Samuel 15, verse 31. God was sovereignly at work in David's life. His invisible hand was at work when David couldn't see it, and God was proving himself faithful to David and to us even when David couldn't see it, And God does so in conjunction with David's prayers. Now, did you see this? This is is incredible. Verse 31, chapter 15. And it was told David Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David prayed, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. God's plan, his provision, his preservation, God's work in David's life was all in response to God, to David's prayers. I don't know how this all works together but our prayers move the very hand of God that we struggle to see sometime and if you need more proof this is your proof. That's the first nugget, that was worth saying. Second one is this. In God's plan his perfect, sovereign, providential plan. The killing of his own son, Jesus Christ, was God's ultimate care for us. As David is pointing to the true David, and David can't see the hand of God at work like we can looking back, we now can look back over history and realize that in the chaos of the crucifixion, in the most horrible, unjust act God was preserving the greater David so that he could ascend to the cross, so that God could defeat our enemies there, even in the cross, and especially in the cross. God's invisible hand was made visible to us so that we would trust he is with us and for us, even when we don't understand it. This is what we mean by the invisible hand of God that is always at work in our lives. I have a friend who lives in Charleston. She's a single mother. She lives in an apartment. She has reached out at times to others to ask for prayer. Uh, Her husband was a deadbeat guy who left her, doesn't pay the child support like he's supposed to, and uh, she's deeply frustrated and sad a lot. She wrote recently that uh, one day, unsolicited by her, the apartment managers wanted to come and see her apartment. And when they came to her apartment, they realized that uh, she has a two-bedroom apartment, but the second bedroom does not have an official closet, and so it's not really a bedroom after all. So she did not initiate this. She didn't even think this they came to her and they looked at it and they said, yeah, it's what we thought. We've been charging you for the last two years for a two-bedroom apartment and yours is only a one-bedroom apartment. And so they have given her all that money back from paying two years for a two-bedroom when it's really only a one-bedroom and they're now only charging her for the one-bedroom. Her son has this beautiful armoire with all his clothes in it, but he doesn't have a closet because God is taking care of her. And she has this balance in the account that she's pulling off on for the next several months based on money she's already given to them. And from here on out, she'll only pay for the one-bedroom apartment. I mean, it's just how he works. He's the sovereign king of kings. And his hand is always at work in our lives, even when it's invisible to us. I'm going to pray, and we're going to close with this hymn. And it's written by uh, George Matheson. It's from a man who struggled deeply with anxiety and depression in his own life. And some of you are gonna be like, yeah, that tune is a drag and you don't like it. And I don't care, because you're gonna learn to love this one too. Because the lyrics of this tune need to stay with you all day long throughout your life as you hear God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. We're gonna sing this as our consecration to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your spirit would so convict our hearts with your love for us in Jesus, that we would see your visible hand in the cross and in every other aspect of our lives as we walk by faith, knowing that you are our sovereign, providential, good King and Father. And may we grow to believe, truly believe, That behind a frowning providence, there hides a smiling face. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.